0: I'm Adrian Polk. We've got a good topic today about the Tea Party. We're going to talk about uh, in about late 2009, early 2010 when Obama was president. Uh, we had this funny little conservative movement called the Tea Party where they donned uh, Tea Party hats and uh, got really bent out of shape that Obama wanted to spend any of our taxpayers at all to keep the government working and uh, fix the negative problems of the Great Recession. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so with that, we have their contract from America, where they spelled out exactly what they wanted. And we're going to see how it holds up 12 years later and see if if they really had something to what they saw about the country, or were they just mad that there was a black president? So. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, real quick, they call it the contract from America, which I find is interesting because uh, I believe Newt Gingrich, right? He had the contract with America. Yeah, in the 90s. In the early 90s, what is it, a preposition, right, from the contract from America? I guess their claim kind of is that America wrote this contract, not them. Um, Granted, America had just elected Obama. Well, it also implies since they lost the election, it's funny that they act like they are America and not just the political minority. Right. Um, So, yeah, the contract from America, it begins, we, the undersigned, Call upon those seeking to represent us in public office to sign the contract from America. And by doing so, commit to support each of its agenda items. Work to bring each agenda item to a vote during the first year. And pledge to advocate on behalf of individual liberty, limited government, and economic freedom. And uh-huh. then it has a little bit about each one. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think about those goals right off the bat? Just the kind of thesis goals. Individual liberty, limited government, and economic freedom. Well, it sounds like the uh, classic kind of conservative agenda for the last 40 years, Um, individual liberty, limited government and economic freedom. So economic freedom is always kind of a funny one um, because it kind of begs the question, freedom from what? You know, Uh, if you take the really the libertarian approach, uh, is it freedom from like government stop signs and the tyranny of stoplights? (laughs) It's almost like a where does it end kind of thing. Right. (laughs) All right. So individual liberty, they write, Our moral, political, and economic liberties are inherent, not granted by our government. It is essential to the practice of these liberties that we be free from restriction over our peaceful political expression and free from excessive control over our economic choices. This is an interesting one because right off the bat, I just coincidentally read something about this. It was talking about the differences in opinion about the Constitution and specifically the Bill of Rights. And within the Bill of Rights, the Ninth Amendment, the one that basically says that these are not all of the rights that Americans have. Because the concern was, it's kind of an interesting debate. They said, uh, you know, if they don't list what the rights are, then what rights do we have as Americans? But then some people said, well, if we list the rights, does that imply those are the only rights we get? So it's kind of an interesting kind of political debate in our history uh but it really begs the question of if they're even right uh for example are moral and political and economic liberties really inherent because aren't they kind of subjective one person's right might be another person's tyranny so to act like this yeah, and is, it just often a... is that way <laughs> exactly every time yeah. there's a new regulation or rule or law there's always another group of people that are claiming to have their freedom infringed upon Yeah, and I mean, you talk about all kinds of liberties. It's like, do you have the economic liberty to sell cigarettes to minors if you want? Or do minors have the right to not basically be hoodwinked into buying shit or have parents, you know, who can't keep their kids from buying it, that kind of thing? It's like one person's freedom is uh, inherently another person's, uh, I guess, tyranny in some ways. Same thing with moral, right? If you talk about moral issues, I mean, those are almost 100% subjective. It uh, depends on what country you come from, what kind of culture you come from, what religion even you have. So, I mean, right. <laughs> they're acting like in the contract from America that America is a you, you know, uniform body and they know what's right. And the government's you know doing what's wrong at all points. But I mean, it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, especially because in their preamble, it's talking about um, committing to support each of these agenda items that they list out later in the document. Uh, which is kind of interesting because Obama did win by a massive landslide, certainly in the Electoral College and quite a bit of a popular vote majority. Yeah. So to really commit to all these things when, yeah, like we mentioned earlier, you literally just lost an election running on some of these items by you know, a pretty substantial margin. Uh, but oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. And it's like, look at the last sentence too, free from excessive control over our economic choices. That one's so subjective too, because for example, I might want to buy an f-22 fighter jet but i can't uh yeah (laughs) you know first off because i can't afford it but also because you legally can't buy one you also can't buy bombs like you know you the surplus military surplus stores don't sell bombs you know what i mean right so is that excessive control over my economic choices you are a Uh, better bomb guy (laughs) yeah i do (laughs) well think of like i mean Economic choices. Think about the jobs you might want to do that you can't do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure anyone can think of quite a few jobs that they might be capable of doing, but is very illegal. For example, selling drugs. Is that an economic choice that's being excessively taken from me (laughs) by the mean government? (laughs) Right. Um, and then and then it heads into limited government the purpose of our government is to exercise only those limited powers that have been relinquished to it by the people chief among these being the protection of our liberties by administering justice and ensuring our safety from threats arising inside or outside our country's sovereign borders when our government ventures beyond these functions and attempts to increase its power over the marketplace and the economic decisions of individuals our liberties are diminished, and the probability of corruption, internal strife, economic depression, and poverty increases. <laughs> it's quite a fascinating <laughs> statement, especially when you think that. Uh, I mean, granted, you know, Obamacare was the big thing going on then um, in 2010. The big legislative effort to finally pass a like a universal health care option—not a universal, but a, a public comprehensive option. health reform. Right. Um, so yeah, the government was increasing its power over the marketplace in that regard. And the economic decisions of individuals, um, our liberties are diminished and the probability of corruption, internal strife, economic depression. That, those are kind of interesting too, because uh, Republicans are kind of notorious for having a worse track record with corruption than Democrats generally. With the term internal strife, uh, Republicans tried to shut down the government how many times? They threatened to uh, let the government default on its debt. How many times while Obama was president and (laughs) threatened America to go bankrupt and uh, have to default? Um, Poverty increases. uh, What in the Republican platform over the last 40 years maybe since like Nixon has uh, done anything to tangibly uh, decrease poverty? Uh, No, that's true. Kind of interesting uh, buzzwords in there, but it just doesn't... Well, it's all buzzwords, right? Yeah. And a lot of them are just as subjective as the last little bullet point. Because when you think about things like uh, increasing, like they want to limit the government's uh, power over the marketplace, I mean, there's already so much kind of influence in the market. For example, like children can't work. A hundred years ago, they could. Is that economic freedom being lost because your children can't work for a dollar a day? You could talk of the same thing about, like, minimum wage. Is that an unnecessary uh, manipulation of the market to say that maybe people shouldn't get paid dirt for <laughs> for working? Um, yeah. And then Get paid about in company dollars you can only spend at the company store. In company stores <laughs> right. where you're always in debt. Yeah. I mean, our liberties are diminished and the probability of corruption, internal strife, economic depression, and poverty increases. I mean, the economic depression thing is really interesting since, like, the economy basically since like mid 2008 early 2009 has basically been on the mend uh you know not counting this covid stuff right now but we basically went 12 years or whatever uh or 11 years straight of just pretty right. solid economic uh, uh betterment for the country thanks Obama. yeah and then to claim that the economic <laughs> depression is more probable uh probable because of these uh, economic uh, overreaches uh, that's kind of a, a rich statement considering that Republicans had been in power a year before this and then uh, basically through a combination of deregulation bad governance and uh, well, the deregulation greed. especially this document was right. written three years after you know 2007 2008 when the entire economy collapsed because of the lack of regulation that they yeah. had cut over 30 years I mean it's, I mean this is just stupid right <laughs> Um, And then comes economic freedom. The most powerful proven instrument of material and social progress is the free market. The market economy, driven by the accumulated expressions of individual economic choices, is the only economic system that preserves and enhances individual liberty. Any other economic system, regardless of its intended pragmatic benefits, undermines our fundamental rights as people. Well, this is just my first impression is just stupid, as if Democrats really want to get rid of capitalism. Right. Like the worst thing you can say about Democrats is that they're trying to take a couple of things and say maybe healthcare shouldn't be capitalist. Everything else is. You know, don't worry. Everything else will be. But maybe healthcare, or, you know, maybe uh, more people should be able to vote. But don't worry. Everything else is still capitalist. Uh, When you look at the Democrat Party and the Republican Party as a whole, I mean, we're not talking about one being pro-capitalism, the other being, uh, you know, against capitalism. It's just it's a pipe dream that Republicans like to to talk about as if it's a real political issue. Yeah, we had one we had one major uh, famous Democratic Socialist famously who wasn't in the Democratic Party, did not win the Democratic Party's uh, nomination for president two elections in a row. But Um, that's so stupid. What is, what did Bernie Sanders say all day, every day? He said, I just want to be a little more like Denmark or Norway or Sweden, which in a lot of ways are better countries in certain, you know, definable and measurable metrics. So, you know, the idea that if we're more like Denmark, we're not capitalists as if like, you can't start a company in Denmark or that like, no one makes money in Norway. It's just ludicrous. Yeah. It's, it's like a, what's that, what's the term? It's a straw man argument. You're basically arguing something that's not even a real issue or really existing. Right. And then I like the last sentence or the last phrase, regardless, uh, basically saying that, like, capitalism is better than any other system, regardless of intended pragmatic benefits. Kind of like a, a little dig there at Democrats thinking they can improve society, you know, with certain plans. And then it uh, undermines our fundamental rights as free people, which... <laughs> You know, it's arguable. Do you have a a, right? But do you have a right to an early death because an insurance company won't give you uh, health insurance because you have a pre-existing condition? Is that a right that Democrats are infringing upon? So your early death. I would like to die when I want to die. Right. (laughs) Take my freedom. You can't take my freedom. But hey, if Obama had those death panels, you could have done that. You could have slipped him a five and said, "Hey, let me die." That's (laughs) true. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> they' all days. All right, so then we get into the number of little principles here. Their first principle, number one is protect the Constitution. Require each bill to identify the specific provision of the Constitution that gives Congress the power to do what the bill does. I think we should protect the Constitution with AK-47s at all times. Yeah. We should have yeah armed guards at the Capitol building with AK-47s 47s ready sense. to protect that. Otherwise, we're going to have another national treasure event. There have right. already been two. We can't handle a third. That's a fascinating idea because, I mean, what's something Democrats could do equally as uh, pedantic and, uh, you know, arguably a waste of time? Uh or For, argument, like a more pedantic argument. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, what what, what could Democrats make Republicans do? For every bill that Well, you know what they should do? They should do it with, like, our last podcast where we were talking about how Democrats should take things Republicans say and just make it their own. Like, they should make their own contract with America saying, we want to protect babies from any premature deaths that would otherwise be, you know, done to them. And even though it's a complete non-issue, <laughs> just claim it as your own, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and you know the Constitution. Uh, we we talked about in the past that Thomas Jefferson believed the Constitution should be rewritten every generation, which for him was 19 years. Um, you really do have this uh, approach to the Constitution and the Republican Party where everything is sacred, um, even new interpretations of the Constitution should be against the, lo- the against the law, and that uh, you have to interpret the Constitution as did people in the 1780s and 90s when it was written, you know? Well, that's ludicrous because most of what Congress writes bills about now are things that had no bearing or did not exist 300 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Plus, like, require each bill to identify the specific provision of the Constitution that gives Congress that power to do it. Um, it's not like Cong- is this a real problem in America right now is Congress just arbitrarily making bills that isn't in their purview under under the Constitution
1: right could you say that I mean, a if you lot of the states con-
0: shouldn't be states if they weren't states when the Constitution got written you know yeah <laughs> uh, yeah protect the Constitution I mean as if the Constitution isn't still like our founding document that we still kind of go off it's so dumb yeah. All right. Number two, reject cap and trade. Stop costly. Oh, sorry. Stop costly new regulations that would increase unemployment, raise consumer prices, and weaken the nation's global competitiveness with virtually no impact on global temperatures. Well, it's funny because they talk about increasing unemployment in 2010, right? So that's right off the, the uh, 2007 2008 recession that I think only officially ended in like mid 2009 or something is when they said that was pretty much the bottom. Uh, and it's funny that like 10 years later that they were so worried about unemployment, but you know, tr- what does Trump claim is that we have the best economy uh, the country's ever seen. And if you draw a line up from any of the metrics, it's basically a straight line up since like 2009. Yeah, 45 so thanks Obama. degree angle straight up. Yeah. Yeah, it's the greatest economy that only has its you know, it's only held up by the previous seven years of Obama. Cool. (laughs) Right. Um, That they say that uh, it's interesting because they reject cap and trade, but then talk about um, like weakening the nation's global competitiveness. I guess this kind of goes to everything. They don't they really didn't want to spend any money on like what now is called a Green New Deal with new initiatives to uh, create jobs by building green technology and transitioning our energy grid, things like that. But I guess back then cap and trade was the bigger kind of compromise. I think now largely... That was like the Republican plan, wasn't it? Yeah. Whereas now even cap and trade probably Republicans don't want to do because they would say it would harm our our uh, economy. We're, it's just showing the change of our political arguments where previous- um... Well, cap and trade was in the 90s. That was the Republican plan yeah. uh, to contrast with the Democrat plan. So, I mean, that was 20 years ago. Cap and trade? What was it? Yeah, if you don't know what cap and trade is, cap and trade basically means that you put a cap on, it's like what they call a carbon tax. So basically the federal government would determine how much uh, carbon dioxide and carbon emissions were put in the air, and they would cap it at a certain point, which meant that you had to buy carbon credits uh, to pollute, and the credits added up to whatever limit the government wanted to set. And it was actually pretty economical in a lot of ways, because if you were a company that polluted, you could just pay and buy other companies that polluted less. You could buy their credits that were excess that they didn't need, and then you could continue to pollute and it would still be a net positive because other companies would stop polluting. And ideally just every couple of years, the government would decrease that cap. And then over time, I mean, it, rather than just having a regulation overnight tell a company, they can't do what they're doing. I mean, it would allow a company years to figure out how to mitigate carbon emissions or get out of that business completely and move on to something else. So it, it's, it's funny. Cause that's like a very, very uh, low key kind of way to tackle this problem that Republicans used to love and they actually proposed it during the 90s. So it's just funny that they're against it now. Um, And obviously (laughs) uh, 11 years later, they're still against it. They don't, you know, now the Republican talking point is we're not gonna sabotage the economy for global warming, which is really kind of weird because you're saying we have this problem, okay, but we're not gonna do anything because we don't wanna make another problem. but. I mean, how short-sighted, right? Wow. Yeah, but plus, if you think about it, and just if I mean, that was in the '90s we're talking, right? So now it's 2020. So 20 plus years have gone by, and we've really done nothing to help the problem. So imagine how little effort we would have had to done in the late '90s compared to now. Like I saw something; it was saying, and you know, I'm just kind of uh, summarizing something I read a while ago. But it said if if they had done cap and trade or took climate change seriously in the year 2000, uh, they would have had to cut carbon emissions by like two to 3% per year, which is almost nothing when you think about the entire economy. But now it's at the point where if we really want to stop climate change, we're, we're gonna to have to stop like 15 to 20% of carbon emissions per year. And it's just, if, if you didn't want to wreck the economy, waiting 20 years to do something about a problem is <laughs> yeah. the best way to do that. Right, the least cost effective way. yeah. Yeah, it is nice to think about the 90s when Republicans used to actually have plans to problems. You know, uh, both sides would agree that problems existed and they would differ in the solution, whereas now yeah. it seems Republicans are much less likely to even admit that a problem exists at all, um, like healthcare. care. Um, that's, an, that's another one where, um, you know, there's a problem that almost everybody in America agrees exists, except Republicans who will tell you we have the best healthcare system in the world, um obamacare and you know uh some of these basic measures the democrats did uh need to be repealed because they're the problem not our healthcare industry yeah oh it's so silly i mean it's just dumb like i was on the department of the interior's website kind of looking around the other day and i noticed that the department of the interior actually has verbiage in their website right up that mentions climate change and i thought like what what, how demotivating for those people working on that part of the Department of the Interior, and they work for a administration that claims there's no such thing and that it might even be a Chinese hoax, you know what I mean? Right. And actively seeks <laughs> out to punish any bureaucrats who have in the past written anything about climate change. Um, that's a real yeah. thing they did. Well, um, they hide the science that the government even did. Yeah. They try to the eras- erase all the public data that we've accumulated. Well, especially from NASA, like... I'm pretty sure NASA has a pretty good idea of what's going on around the world, <laughs> like climate-wise. Yeah. But, you know, All right, the number Tea Party knows better. Yeah. <laughs> N- number four, enact fundamental tax reform. Oh, you missed three. Did I? Oh, yeah, yeah we, I did. Sorry. You just did All right, trade. Demand a, Number three, demand a balanced budget. Begin the constitutional mm. amendment process to require a balanced budget with a two-thirds majority needed for any tax hike. Um, That's fascinating because um, there's some states uh, that have balanced budget uh, kind of things in their state constitution. And the kind of going consensus is that it, well, I guess other than conservatives who like this kind of thing, but that it makes it actually hard to govern. Because in, like, let's say this pandemic happened and you don't have anywhere in your budget any money for... Uh, the healthcare response or assistance to people who are jobless, or increased uh, benefits paid out to people who will now be unemployed and want uh, the benefits, um, it makes it very difficult to govern in an effective way because you didn't budget any of that money, and by law you're not allowed to go into debt with your budget; it has to be a balanced budget. So, uh, in whether the catastrophe when they say balanced is, budget, does the states have to not have a surplus either? Because it really wouldn't be a problem if states actually budgeted properly where they actually had a little bit of money as a surplus. But you can just imagine any state that had a budget surplus, the Republicans would say, give us our money back. You're stealing our money. Even though they're literally just preparing for the fact that if something bad does happen, they can't go into debt to do anything about it. So they, right. you know, it's a necessity to have that surplus. And that happened during, in the late 90s, right? in w, uh, George W. Bush's first year the government had like a 200 billion dollar budget surplus and a lot of the reason they promoted those tax cuts in the year 2001 was that well we have a 200 billion dollar surplus why are we taking money from people uh despite the fact we were paying off our debt but you know that's yeah. another story right and well i mean we can mention briefly that the that bill clinton with all of the debt reorganization uh, and the budget uh kind of maneuvers that he was able to do to get some of those early uh surpluses like whether monthly or annual there was a concern from economists that america was going to pay its debt off too quickly and kind of uh derail some of the finance long-term financial plans of some of the other countries that were uh no that's very true they were basing their own budgets and economies based on what they expected long-term to receive from the debt payments in uh, interest charges from uh, supporting us with our debt. So it actually was a problem yeah. that people thought, oh, we're going to pay that debt off too quick and some of these other countries that uh, they're not going to get as much money long-term as they were planning. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a, for our, our listeners, really quick, kind of a really quick synopsis of that is the, in Asia, there was the Asian uh, financial crisis. Uh, that was like 98, yeah, 97, 98. And right. really it was a, it was a crisis that was made from itself, basically, because you had all money uh, worldwide. Tons of people were sending money, not sending money, but they were investing in East Asian um, countries uh, because they were like the, the growing East Asian tigers. Um, so a couple countries had a couple little debt issues that weren't real problems, but the, the, the market kind of got spooked. And then you had a run on the banks of all investments in East Asia, and what really wasn't a problem became a problem. So part of the reason uh, Clinton and his team didn't wanna uh, pay off the debt so quickly was they were concerned that a lot of those Asian companies or countries had been buying massive amounts of American debt. And if we paid it off too quickly, since they were still being affected by the fallout of the Asian financial crisis, they thought it would hurt other countries. And uh, a lot of those countries bought a lot of American products. So it actually would have been bad for American exporters because if those countries had long-lasting financial problems, they would probably cut their spending of American goods. So that's kind of an interesting little thing, a uh, little little fact about our budget history the last, like, 30 years. Yeah. Um, and again, um, especially with kind of Democratic views on economic uh Uh, economics and budgetary spending it does at a certain point become a boon to the economy when you do have deficit spending spent in the right way for instance if uh the government doesn't have money to redesign some like the the highway system for instance obviously that would cost a lot of money that would not make immediate returns but the amount of economic uh um um what's the word Um, economic progress that was available and kind of uh economic financial return i mean that's the whole point right yeah things like that the only reason you would go into debt right like an individual doesn't go into debt to buy cigarettes and beer they go into debt to go to college or to get some kind of training right or to buy supplies they need to start a business or maybe they get a loan to start a business right so like the same thing applies to the government and this is something i think that this one actually kind of like actually makes sense like demand like a balanced budget like you don't always need a balanced budget it's okay to go in debt but it'd be nice if the government tried a little harder but i mean just if a government goes into debt and were to do something like you said like buy new highways or fix up infrastructure things that we know for a fact will uh, increase you know, economic gains long-term, even right. GDP, right? I mean, imagine like in the 30s uh, with the New Deal, a big part of that was literally building hydroelectric dams on rivers in the South and the West to bring electricity to parts of the United States that didn't have power, like parts of the rural South and parts of the rural West where they literally didn't have electricity in the 1930s. So like, was that a good thing to spend money on? uh yeah uh and a lot of people criticize especially on the right they criticize franklin roosevelt for spending too much money but think of the economic return of having a part of a country have electricity for the first time ever in human history there you know what i mean right like that's the entire point of going into debt so a balanced budget is a good thing but like it's okay to go into debt and to say otherwise is just stupid now i would agree completely that the government as you know spending Right now, and over the last 15 years, hasn't necessarily been the most intelligent spending. Um, but that's another issue. And this is one thing I think a lot of Americans would agree with the balanced budget idea. But it doesn't make sense, especially right now with COVID and potential recession on the horizon with m- literally millions of people applying. Yeah, uh, with, COVID, really, with COVID, it really brings home the point that uh, uh, Trump cut a lot of money out of some of these uh, um, pandemic kind of response units in the government. When he cut the government's revenue with the 2017 tax cut. Yeah, yeah. But my point is that he cut a lot of money from uh, the World Health Organization or various agencies in the U.S. government to look over this stuff because he wanted to save money. But because we did not accurately and uh, quickly and efficiently deal with the pandemic coming to America... We have to spend so much more money fixing this problem than he saved by cutting those programs that were, uh, you know, designed and uh, uh, funded and their entire function was to prevent things like this from happening. So it really makes you think about what Republicans always want to cut everything to save money. But maybe some of the things the government is doing saves way more money in the long term by taking care of problems at their earliest, most cost effective manner of uh, forestalling the problem. Well, yeah, and that's something I think a lot like we already talked about regulation. So this will kind of go kind of hand in hand with that. But regulations are in a lot of ways for a lot of specific issues are like insurance. And you have to have insurance on a lot of things because it doesn't make sense not to, right? Everyone is housing insurance in case your house burns down. But like, think of the differential in cost. Like, let's say whatever that team that Obama had uh, basically uh, employed to go look for like -like, COVID-like potential pandemic viruses around the world. Let's just say it's a hundred people and they spent $30 million a year, right? well, what would you rather have those hundred bureaucrats running around the world looking at shit, spending $30 million a year? Or would you rather have what we have now with $6 trillion being spent, tens of millions of Americans losing their jobs and literally like a significant chunk of the country literally staying home and not even going to work? Like, well, isn't that like insurance? And the same thing, like, you know, earlier talked about getting rid of uh, uh, regulations that hurt business. But like, Imagine you work for, like, the Department of the Interior, and you're, like, a three-man team who gets paid, like, $80,000 a year each. So you're we talking $180,000 a year, and all they do is go look at, like, oil rigs, right? So is it worth one hundred sixty dollars or $180,000 a year to pay these three guys to go out there and look at oil rigs and sure they check off the boxes? Or would you rather pay for, like, an ExxonMobil oil spill that the government yeah, then right. spends billions of yeah. dollars to clean up. Because and guess it what ruins happens? entire this, states yeah. like uh, beaches and a lot of their economic value. You know, Alabama oh, yeah. doesn't have a lot going for it, but the the beach <laughs> access to partying and, and, and vacations fishing. on the beach, yeah, and fishing is a and big oil. part of it, yeah. right. I mean, think of I mean, people don't realize the benefit they get from tiny amounts of government spending. And yeah, it adds up. But at the same time, uh when you compare the potential outcomes and during the trump administration we've seen a bunch of these kind of play out so we have literally seen what outcome actually happens when you don't have these people doing their jobs so i mean it's just ludicrous to think that like that's the problem that these these guys who go to an oil rig and, and regulate and make sure that they're following all the safety standards set by the federal government right and it really goes to show that like on so many issues Republicans are willing to do things and do bailouts of people. and We've talked about in the past how Republicans are willing to give uh, free health care to the people who will die otherwise. You know, hospitals get reimbursed for having to take care of people if they're going to die otherwise. And at Mm -hmm. that point, when you're in the emergency room, moments from death, that's the least cost-effective way to deal with your health issues than if you had just, you know... Uh, had a doctor visit earlier and got on like a statin or something that would prevent yeah. you from having a heart attack at, at you know a moment's notice. Um, so it, it really is dumb that conservatives go so far out of their way to avoid spending any money until it gets to the point that the problem is so bad that now you cannot avoid it anymore. And now you like uh, in the instance of this uh, this pandemic, you're paying six trillion instead of that thirty million for the uh, that the kind of group that monitors this stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's just, the math is so bad. Well, the last thing I'll say about this one, demand a balanced budget, uh, the, the last little part of it says that the Tea Party wants to mandate a two-thirds majority needed for any tax hike. And it's just funny to think about. Imagine watching the, the federal debt counter, you know, adding a trillion dollars every year for years and then saying, we need to make it harder to raise taxes. So yeah. it's like, so what are we just not going to do anything about it? Right. It's like, <laughs> I mean, watching like the Trump administration watch like the the cases of COVID just pile up in America saying nothing's wrong, nothing wrong. It's like the same people who say we can't raise taxes while behind them, the tax counters just adding like literally, we did the math actually yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the government spends like 1.2, what was it? $1.8 million a minute or something yeah. like that. It's $1.8 million a minute, and they're like, we need to make it harder to raise taxes. It's like, hey, uh, you know, I don't think any amount of tax cutting is going to make so much economic uh, GDP growth that you're going to pay this off anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and then two-thirds, I mean, Republicans. If uh, What would happen now if, if we needed two-thirds majority to raise uh taxes or to raise the debt ceiling or something like that right now uh when we're spending what if democrats would just do what republicans do republicans are willing to let america default on its debt what if all the democrats just said nope you need a two-thirds majority to do anything about the coronavirus and we're just going to let you fail as a president because our goal is not to help the country but to make trump a one-term president the the whole two-thirds majority thing is just so uh, it's kind of i mean even a filibuster is uh it's slightly less than two-thirds, I guess, give it that. Yeah, six votes <laughs> less than two-thirds. Yeah. Right, so kind of dumb. Anyway, moving on to number four, enact fundamental tax reform. Adopt a simple and fair, sing, uh, fair single-rate tax system by scrapping the internal revenue code and replacing it with one this is great. That is no longer than 4,543 words. The length of the original Constitution. <laughs> uh, can you imagine anything? Like, like, America's That's a so giant what, what about country. the amendments? Do you hate the amendments, Republicans? Why can't you right. include the <laughs> yeah. length of the words of the amendments? Yeah. You only get up to uh, the the 18th Amendment when women get the right to vote. <laughs> yeah. All other amendments. Those are just <laughs> bastardizations. We're still of, unclear on that one, too. Yeah. Well, which this is, is funny because this We're is something Republicans country. don't talk about anymore. This yeah. is like the single-rate tax system. Remember they talked about the fair tax? or 999 nine, uh, nine plan. <laughs> you know, yeah, game. they said like we should just have – we should tax 10% on everybody on every bit of income, uh, which is just stupid because not, you don't really hear Republicans talking about this specific, this specific issue anymore. They seem to be okay, at least like the Trump tax plan was pretty much okay with – you know the progressive taxation system we have now. So it's interesting they kind of shut up about that one. Yeah, for sure. And you know, America has the uh, the I guess the most dynamic economy in the world. We do we do trillions of dollars of GDP every every year, and to have a tax code that's only four thousand five hundred words would be such a, a self inhibiting unforced error of a way to govern your country just a well, yeah i mean you, you can't i mean one industry the tax code on i don't know um like a uh, computer construction or something is probably way more words than 4000 words you know you pick any one industry or any one area <laughs> of the tax code and there's no way they can get that down under 4000 words well it's funny too because like think of the stuff that might get left out because if you have that, first off, four thousand five hundred words is like a high school paper, right? It's not even that many words. But think of how many words it would take just to detail, like in in you know the way the government writes these documents. It has to be in legalese, so it literally has to be consistent. It has to make sense. Throughout the document, and you need a lot of words to do that. But what happens if you hit that four thousand five hundred forty-three words, and you haven't yet put in the part where churches don't pay taxes? Are you going to let <laughs> churches be taxed because oh, right. we ran out of words? <laughs> yeah, our bad. Or That's the charitable point. giving thing? You know, most people are pretty cool with the fact that if you give to charity, you can—it's a tax write-off. But whoop, well, that didn't make it in. We we ran out of words. <laughs> yeah. If only the original Constitution had been longer. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right and i'm sympathetic i mean our our tax code is maybe ridiculously long you you need to pay somebody to do your taxes even if you have one job and one w-2 That's Well, you don't need to very... but for most people like if you're gonna try to write anything off like <laughs> or make any kind of business expenses like you're gonna have, probably need that because um, if you just have a w-2 and you fill it out as you need like you're not going to get audited because the government already knows that it's when you start like trying to put all these like exemptions and that you maybe only barely qualify or especially with like business uh, expenses yeah that's true um, all i'll but, say though is i mean it could be a lot simpler and i think that's fair of this document to call for a fair uh, a simpler tax code absolutely. for example like like the tax code there's no reason to have brackets think of how many words it probably takes to legally define these tax brackets i mean you could literally just set up a very minuscule percentage increase every hundred dollars or every i mean we have we have computers right so you could if every dollar you made let's say you paid 0.0001% more tax, you know what I mean? Right. So you could probably actually decrease taxes for 97%, 98, 99% of people and probably come up with a system that's more revenue revenue creating and then more importantly like doing something as simple as that would allow you to I mean this is the weird thing if you really think about the issue, right? Because to some extent if the tax code isn't complicated, you it's really like a jobs creator, right? Because if the tax code's not uh, not really complicated, then you're gonna lose two million people who are involved in like tax law and lawyers, attorneys, yeah, that. accountants and stuff. h and Block. Like, yeah, I mean <laughs> that's Turbo a, tax. yeah. That's another thing. People like that was a big issue for Obama with the Obamacare was that. It wasn't a single payer system or all government run because they were kind of concerned. Well, we have millions of people who've lost their jobs. Are we going to put another two and a half million people out of work just because we're eliminating? The, I mean, it, it's kind of a perverse market incentive, right? So right. The, the healthcare system's made up of like you have lawyers and accountants and, and uh, lobbyists for the hospital. For the consumer and for the government and they're and, and especially for also for the uh healthcare provider and healthcare insurance people and they're all trying to screw each other and that makes thousands and thousands of jobs. Yeah. So if you fix that broken system, you're also accepting that you're probably gonna take unemployment from like, I don't know, three point eight percent to four point two percent or four point five percent, you know? Right. That's like one of the it's a very perverse kind of incentive for the government to do what they do. Yeah, and of course, a lot of those groups do have lobbying groups where they collect a lot of money, and then you know uh, they have dinners and lunches and events with all these members of Congress. And uh, well, yeah, and that's how you know toward... it's so profitable, right? And that they can spend that funny. much money and still make a profit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so let's go to number five: restore fiscal responsibility and constitutionally limited government in Washington. So uh, the Tea Party plans on creating a blue-ribbon task force that engages in a complete audit of federal agencies and programs, assessing their constitutionality and identifying duplication, waste, ineffectiveness, and agencies and programs better left for the states or local authorities, or ripe for wholesale reform or elimination due to our efforts to restore limited government consistent with the U.S. government's meaning. This, right off the bat, this just reminds me of that book by Michael Lewis, The Fifth Risk, where, like, if people actually knew what the government was doing with the money, which they don't, if they actually knew who the workers were and what projects they were working on, they'd probably be okay and agree or admit <laughs> yeah. that, that, that you know, like, for example, in the weather department, how much of their money goes to people studying tornadoes and literally making systems that, like, can can find a, to- a tornado and then make the alarms and give it to the people within like uh, a couple of minutes, right? Is right. that money well spent? Well, I mean, like, what, in the news yesterday, there were two tornadoes that ripped through Mississippi. I bet they would be happy with that money. Uh, the same thing with uh, hurricanes, right? Um, right? To use the weather uh, uh, part of the government uh, again. I mean, in the old days, a hurricane would just come. You know what i mean like you had no warning there was just a hurricane there and you're like oh shit um but the fact that they actually spend money and have like record weather meteorological uh recording uh places around the world including the middle of the ocean right they just set up buoys in a lot of places Mm -hmm. like is that money well spent well probably when you look at how much damage hurricanes already do and we know about them days in advance Right. Uh, another bu- another detail from that book about the, the weather industry. He re- or the weather agencies. He really goes into a lot of detail on those. But there's a guy who uh, he's an engineer who uh, he kind of created his own mission focus just because no one else really was, and it actually ended up being tr- uh, truly valuable. But this guy basically created these uh, these mathematical equations to figure out how. People who get uh, sent, o- who get uh, who slip and go overboard of a boat and are in the ocean, he basically figured out like probability cones uh, from where the last known location was, on where people or boats or capsized boats or uh, um, boats that no longer have power, where they would float to based on their weight and the wind speed and the current and things like that, and based on what location they are. And this guy by himself single-handedly uh, made dramatic uh, differences in how much more likely the Coast Guard was to find you if you were just out at sea and or you fell off a boat or your fishing boat uh, just got swept out by the wind. And this guy like single-handedly, like I said, made it much more likely that... Uh, first responders would be able to find you. And that's something that you could say, oh, that's actually a really good thing. But then when you get these conservatives who just want to like drop funding for NOAA, um, the kind of weather agencies, by like 30% or something for some Um, arbitrary goal on their own of cutting regulations and spending or whatever. Like, that guy would lose that money or lose his job, despite the fact that he's doing something that is really useful and saves hundreds of lives every year, if not thousands, because the Coast Guard is just constantly pulling people out of the ocean. Um, Well, that, too, and the guy was just doing it totally on his own, and he was just yeah. looking at a problem that, like, the last time somebody had looked into was like nineteen in the nineteen sixties or fifties, like right after World War II or something like that. Was the last time somebody had tried to some way quantify how floating bodies get swept out into the ocean and where they might be. And this guy took uh, he, he took a paper that that dude wrote, um, literally like fifty years before him, thirty years, yeah. something like that. And, uh, evolved it and made it better into something that's actually practical now. Well, I, it's practical I I and he, yeah, it's practical and he gave it to the Coast Guard. So if you ever get rescued from the sea by the Coast Guard, you can literally thank that one government bureaucrat. Yeah, right. But what was, it was like that thing when the, the Democrats and the Republicans passed that bill that said, if we can't agree to make a balanced budget oh, or whatever. the fiscal cliff. You know, yeah, the fiscal cliff, yeah. but when they cut everything arbitrarily by 10%. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, the funny thing about the federal government is, like, yeah, they obviously do important stuff. But, like, how many Republicans don't even understand what the government's doing? For example, like, in the 2012 election when, when Rick Perry said he'd cut the Department of Energy. But it turns out, you know, surprise, the Department of Energy is actually in charge of all of our nuclear weapons. So if you cut it, who's going to take care of those weapons? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I... <laughs> but, yeah, so... Yeah, but um, they know better. The Tea Party knows better, right? Right. But, you know, we've talked about this before, but uh, any government program does not just uh, appear in a vacuum. Uh, yeah. Any program that the government, that Congress uh, makes money on, it had to get approved by majorities in Congress and majorities in those congressional um, committees. Uh, people had to have hearings on it and discuss about problems and... There had to be a, a wide amount of consensus uh, and attention on a problem that Congress decided to fix with uh, some uh, money or attention-focused, like-oriented uh, manner. Mm-hmm. So no- nothing uh, just appears. No agency just. Well, we we like spending government money, so we're just going to start spending it on this. Um, every pro- everything that government spends money on there is a problem that before the money or program uh, existed was a problem that enough people got together and said hey we need to stop this from happening uh, For instance we, we talked about uh, uh, regulations of food a lot of people would just get sick all the time in the late 1800s because there were just no standards and you had these people basically just selling sawdust for spices and Uh, milk was rancid and filled with maggots and a lot of kids actually died you can look this up hundreds or thousands of kids every year died from bad milk so that was a problem um that existed and everybody got (laughs) together and said we need to stop this so when you get a conservative tea party like person who says we need to just cut 10 percent of all regulations or something across the board willy nilly because that's what's holding us back um, yeah there, there's you're a, gonna cut a fac- those regulations that stop milk from having maggots in it and kills her. kids. Yeah, yeah there was a fascinating book called The Poison Squad about basically the fir- the first government chemist, ie first government bureaucrat to give a crap about what people were <laughs> eating. <laughs> and uh, what do you I mean they did all kinds of studies and they found fascinating things like it's almost hard to believe, but they did a study on like post-civil war coffee grounds. And what they realized and they found was that like, you you know, using chemistry, they found what was actually in all these products. And they found that like the, during the civil war, the union soldiers actually were drinking almost 87% of their coffee was actual coffee. But they found that, like, the what was left of, like, the warehouses filled with, like, Confederate coffee and stuff was literally nothing more than, like, swept up dust, dirt, and, like, just, like, basically charred food remains. And they basically yeah. <laughs> packaged it and called it coffee beans, uh, coffee grounds. So it's, like, these poor Confederate soldiers... You know, fighting for what they thought was their new country are literally thinking they're drinking coffee, but it's literally just dirt and dust <laughs> or yeah. like burned, charred charcoal, basically. And it goes for everything, too, because, like, it's funny because in those days it was actually um, uh, Republican presidents uh, who were against what he was doing, because even in the 1890s <laughs> and early 1900s, the Republicans were so pro-business, they didn't want these chemists looking into what companies were doing and suggesting like remedies like regulations on lying to consumers because they were afraid it would hurt business. Uh, but yeah. like you said, yeah, thousands of kids were being poisoned a year because there was a funny thing where <laughs> the book, uh, again, I'll mention it, uh, is called The Poison Squad. Uh, it's a great book, but it was talking about how like, some of the earliest tests that companies were doing Uh, to prove their food wasn't toxic was that they would literally give some of their food to a rabbit, wait five (laughs) minutes and say, look, nothing happened to the rabbit can't be toxic. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and that was like their safety uh, standard. So So when people say you don't need government (laughs) oversight and regulation, like that's what you get. The book also mentioned that a lot of the, (laughs) like the spices were just nothing but sawdust and dirt and that there essentially was no market incentive for anybody selling spice to not cut corners and have at least like half of it, for instance, be just garbage that wasn't real pepper. Because you, why would you do that when all these other companies are actually making way more profits by having and they're dirt undercutting and dust? you? Yeah, you, you couldn't, you couldn't you. profit from doing the real. There was a funny example too. It talked about the same thing with honey, um, and the book basically had a funny joke saying that. Uh, these chemists in the government found a uh, honey industry uh, almost completely devoid of any beekeepers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And that's That's what you get with zero regulation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. All right. um, So let's go to number six. The Tea Party wants to end runaway government spending, impose a statutory cap limiting the annual growth in total federal spending to the sum of the inflation rate Plus the percentage of population growth. Um, You know what's funny about that is it's kind of like, hey, fuck off. It's our government. So if in 30 years we want to increase above whatever that fucking limit is, well, then like, what are we going to do? Not do it because some Republican Tea Party guys in 2010, 2011, 2012 said no. (laughs) I mean, it's so stupid, right? Like, we don't even know what the future is going to have or what technology is going to be available or what the government needs to spend money on. So like yeah. why are we gonna do that to ourselves? It's so stupid. Well that's interesting it, too, because the sum of inflation rate is what, like around two percent average, maybe, maybe more in bad bad areas or bad Well, it's on average two percent. Usually it's actually a little less than two percent, and then the Fed will do will actually print money to get it a little closer. Like there's some quarters where it's only like 02 percent, maybe one point two percent. Uh, and then they'll do things to actually try to get it a little closer to that. two. I mean, it's never 2% because the economy is so big. It's hard to pinpoint, but that is mm-hmm. the goal. All right. Yeah, but so having a, having this, I guess in theory, maybe someone thought it was a good idea, but relatively it's an arbitrary number that depending on all kinds of externalities based on the world economy, you know, right now a pandemic going on, you might want to You might want to have a little more federal spending during a global pandemic, like a a once-in-a-century catastrophe. Uh, Well, like, imagine, like, World War II. What if we had this before World War II, and then the Japanese, you know, uh, bomb Pearl Harbor, and we say, well, we can't spend because we're, you know, the recession, the Great Depression's been pretty bad for our finances. Because because people in 1910 made a rule saying we couldn't spend more than 3%. Yeah, Exactly. Well, Plus, it's stupid, like, a lot of what the government spends its money on is things for old people. Like, it's really a lot of government spending is welfare for old people. So if population growth goes down, you're just... All that means is that every year the population is going to get older and older and older. uh, And eventually you'll have a majority of old people. And then you say, sorry you don't have any social security because we can't spend anymore. Our bad. Right. <laughs> Which would be funny because then it would be like the congressmen themselves being affected by that because 30 years ago, they had personally voted to not increase spending by any, any amount. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so then we get to number seven, defund, repeal, and replace government-run health care. And their caption there is, uh, defend, repeal, and replace the recently passed government-run health care with a system that actually makes healthcare and insurance more affordable by enabling a competitive, open, and transparent free market healthcare and health insurance system that isn't restricted by state boundaries. Um, Real quick, let's just mention that um, I love the idea that they wanna repeal and replace, which was something that Republicans tried to do when Trump took over in about 2017, uh, 2018. But let's thats fast forwarding uh, eight years. Well, they years never from when had they a replacement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> eight years later, they still never had any replacement, which made even though they had the congressional numbers and votes to uh, repeal Obamacare, they could not actually get votes from their own majorities because they had no replacement. So it is kind of astonishing that for any Yeah, eight John McCain years, famously voted ideas. against it, right? Right, yeah.
1: Well, it's funny uh, because
0: if you're to talk about, I mean, think of what the Tea Party ended up doing, right? So this document came out in 2010 or whatever. So, like, how many times did they waste government money by using Congress time to try to repeal Obamacare? Forty times, right? Something no, maybe it was even more? More. It was more than like 60 or 70. Yeah, so if you're so worried about waste and unnecessary spending, why would you do that? If you knew you didn't have the votes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I just mean, grandstanding. Geez. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is actually one thing I didn't realize this, but I read an article talking about this. A lot of Republicans say that the problem is that government that health insurance plans are not competitive across state lines. Um, But I actually read something. It was saying that um, there's actually no rule that they can't be competitive across state lines. All this time, I was just kind of taking it at face value that there was some rule that needs to be replaced. It stops that. But it's actually just the health insurance companies themselves, because every time you go into a new state, there's all kinds of new paperwork and registrations and new regulations. So basically, it's actually a free market force that stops healthcare insurance plans from going across state borders, because it's just too complicated uh, to do to figure it all out. It's too expensive to figure it out and get all the uh, you know get everything in motion and working that the biggest reason health insurance companies don't do it is not because of any like rule, but just, again, the free market makes it uh, unprofitable or at least very um, well, uh, convenient to get started. Yeah, it's the combination of the free market and then states' rights to do whatever they want. So that's a Republican yeah, right. thing, too. So the problem is actually caused by a little bit of states being intransigent with that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and granted they want to make healthcare insurance more affordable, but this was kind of the problem with Obamacare in the beginning. Um, it kind of had a three peg system. Um, one of the three pegs, uh, famously was the mandate, which you can only get all of the health insurance companies to start doing it. Um, if you make it, uh, or you can only get them started with the, uh, high risk, um, uh, div- uh division of, uh, um i guess consumers you could say because the big thinking was why would anyone want to get started with these plans because if you get rid of the uh the big thing was you wanted to get rid of the um pre-existing conditions uh being outlawed that like any insurance company can block you if you have a pre-existing condition so the rule to end that practice was only really feasibly possible if you had the mandate to get a lot of healthy people joining into the healthcare. Uh, exchanges so that healthy people would be there to afford the obvious giant expense of having these really sick people that haven't had previously um, any health insurance because of those pre-existing conditions. But the whole idea that Republicans hate that mandate and think it's unconstitutional, um, which did get held up by the Supreme court famously by John Roberts, who uh, although he did not think of it as a normal like a congressional right to do, but he thought it was uh, constitutional according to like uh, interstate commerce, which was kind of a, an unusual. Yeah, he took an interesting ruling. perspective. Yeah, um, but it is interesting that republic. You know that the mandate is the one thing that keeps republic. Uh, sorry, health insurance uh, prices affordable, but uh, they're not about that. <laughs> you know. Well, the whole thing was stupid. I mean, first off, you have to realize, and Democrats need to admit this too, that Obamacare was a giant bundle of compromises that did a bunch of good things, but it wasn't the actual solution. The intent was to fix the worst problems. And then I don't think any Democrat thought they would have so much resistance uh, because in normal political times, it wouldn't. If anything, you know, Democrats and Obama had said repeatedly they were open to reforming Obamacare. They just weren't willing to allow it completely to go away because then you lose all the... I mean, they did polls, right? Remember when they said like, Do you support kids being on your parents' tax plan until 26? Well, 87% of the people say yeah. Like, do you support not having uh, pre existing conditions uh, bar you from getting health insurance? Most people say yeah. So it's like everything Obamacare, a lot, well, not everything, but a lot of things Obamacare did, especially on the regulation side, people really liked and it actually helped the actual problems. So the fact, it's, I mean, it's just Republican. inability to actually govern and do things that help american people that for political points they wanted to get rid of everything even the good uh and just harp and can uh, i don't know focus on the bad without any ability or desire to actually re- uh, change it right because what 13 years later 12 years later we still don't have a uh, replace plan yet um so i mean here right. we are well what, not what, 13 it's like years but you know just 11 years decade, or whatever yeah you know, nine or ten um, yeah, so that's kind of interesting too. It's just that um, we can talk about an open and transparent free market healthcare system that they uh, say they want. But I imagine if you wanted a lot of those regulations in place, it would make our healthcare system uh, open and transparent. I would imagine a lot of Republicans would be against those regulations as well. I'm sure there would be a lot of lobbying. Um, well, that's just really- really, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's like so obvious that healthcare is flawed and could be more affordable just when you have literally hundreds of thousands of people whose job it is, is to sue other parts of the health industry to get money. Like, for example, like people talk about the pr- rising price of like schools and, and uh, college education. Well, it's like no shit, it, it's cost more because there's 10 times as many, uh, uh, You know school executive administrators who didn't used to have jobs so no like no wonder the institution has to charge more yeah and it is it is absurd too when you look at the pricing because you hear all the scandals of these hospitals that'll charge like eighty dollars for a band-aid or fifty dollars for a glove or something that the doctor has to use and then uh it it, it, it's interesting that uh i have read that a lot of times if you're if you don't have an insurance you can kind of argue those rates down because that's all the insurance company does that the hospital actually jumps up the charges for a lot of things for the people who don't have insurance and a lot of people don't know that you have there's a little bit of uh, some bargaining that you can do there and that's what the insurance company does the insurance company says like fuck no we're not doing that and then the hospital will you know give a, a wild price on somewhere else and it, you were right when you uh, you hit the nail on the head when it's literally just all of these different uh Uh, groups and interests, basically just trying to commit fraud against each other, you know, and then the real, the real people who get screwed over are the people with no insurance because those are the people who then have to have these massive expenses, uh, basically to cover up, uh, like all the people who, uh, can't pay anything or to, you know, get back at everything the hospital didn't get from the health insurance company. Well, that's something really important for our viewers. Uh, if you don't have a health insurance, be very upfront with the uh, medical people you go to uh, because there is a special price and they'll go out of their way to make it and find the cheapest way to get you what you need. Uh, So Chesty had that for a while where she was working for a startup and very briefly didn't have health insurance. So like for a couple checkups, she just went and said, hey, I don't have health insurance. And they said, oh, thank God you told us we would have charged you for this and this and this. But like since you don't have health Ah, insurance, we'll give you the cheap one. And we we normally do this test because it makes sense to do it uh, whenever we can. But it's not really needed. So we won't do it. And that saves you X, Y, Z amount of money. So. I mean, that right there, I mean, it's just proof that the whole system's fucked up and there's some fraud going on, right? Right. <laughs> um, because they these are caring people, right? They're, they're caring people. They want to help people. They don't, especially if they're paying for it themselves, they don't want to unnecessarily burden them with some kind of, you know, medical debt. But at the same time, they're running a, a for-profit company and, you know, they get sued a lot and uh, health insurance companies try to fuck them over and take money from them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's... You know, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game, right? And I think every yeah, American right. hates the game. Yeah. Um, all right, so moving on to number eight, passing all of the above energy policy. Um, they say, authorize the exploration of proven energy reserves to reduce our dependence on foreign energy sources from unstable countries and reduce regulatory barriers to all other forms of energy creation, lowering prices and creating com- competition and jobs. This is an interesting one, especially 10 years out, because uh, right now, arguably, thanks to Obama, uh, we're one of the biggest oil producers and natural, sorry, uh, natural gas producers in the entire world. So America is actually energy independent. So thank you, Obama, for that. Um, Did Trump get rid of some regulations and red tape? Yes. But what we do know is a lot of that regulation was just EPA guidance for how not to fuck up our ecosystem. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if he, you know, all that fracking was an issue when Obama was president. Uh, they were able to make fracking significantly less dangerous to the ecosystem. Uh, there were some CEOs who even had press conferences where they proved that like the fracking liquids they used was actually drinkable and they drank it in front of like their press conference. So, I mean, there was a lot of good work that made a lot of that stuff cleaner. We do know like natural gas, is 90% cleaner than coal. And, you know, right now in America, thanks to a lot of the help from the Obama administration, what is, we have a situation where it's actually cheaper to build a new natural gas plant rather than even keep an already existing uh, coal plant running. Uh, So that right there saves 90% of emissions. Plus it's, you know, there's way more natural gas available to Americans than coal. And, you know, it sucks for coal miners, but, uh, you know, you could have voted for Hillary Clinton, who said she would take federal money and give it to your area to help train you into something new. Instead, you've got to keep working the coal miners and be free under Trump. <laughs> right. Yeah. it is interesting because um, America really is opening up a, a whole new world in terms of our uh, exports of oil and natural gas. And actually, that's why uh, right now oil prices are so ridiculously cheap is because uh, uh, Russia is a little peeved that now America is, a, I think, a top three um, exporter of fossil fuels. We still don't have the best infrastructure for getting it to Europe. I believe we, for natural gas, we have to liquefy it, transport it to Europe, and then there has to be another plant on the opposite end for, for them to regasify it to be able to use as natural gas. So that's a little, uh, that's still maybe uh, a work in progress on figuring out the best way to do that. But right now well, it's, it's just, uh, a, it's not like impractical, it's just a little more expensive than you're right. getting it from Russia. Yeah, but but gas prices are super cheap now because uh, we're entering the market so strongly. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia and the rest of OPEC had a plan to cut um, supply so that they could keep prices up, despite the fact, you know, it's kind of a cartel, and it, that it, the price of oil is not at all a free market thing. OPEC is a cartel that manipulates price and supply all the time. Well, it's a sham like the diamond industry. Right, yeah. It's just like the diamond industry. Yeah, and Russia and Saudi Arabia had a little spat where uh, Saudi Arabia wanted to cut supply and Russia didn't want to cut it. So then Saudi Arabia flooded the market with more supply to get back at Russia and it's just a whole <laughs> big thing. Trump wants yeah. to make a deal, even though this is good for American consumers. That gas is or oil is so cheap, but Trump well, wants to make a good deal for, with them to end it. It's good for American consumers. Uh, ironically, it's at the worst time because no one's using oil because we're all yeah, right. driving our cars. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, trucks are still you know benefiting from it. But the 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 real thing is Trump's worried about the oil companies. So there's a there's a break even point for oil, like actual liquid, uh, like crude oil production in America and a lot of those companies, I think it's somewhere around like $33. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 33 to like $40 is where like some companies, and it's like a it's like a spectrum, right? At right. Below $40, you have companies going in, kind of into extremists and then closer to 30, you have companies actually at danger of going out, uh, going bankrupt and not being able to make a profit. Um, Because unlike, you know, we have to work a little harder to get our oil than like Saudi Arabia, which just has a massive like underground ocean of oil. Um, So I think what the administration is really worried about is these big, plain, uh, you know, people who no doubt give, you know, millions of dollars a year in political donations, probably mostly to the Republican Party. Uh, But yeah, they're in danger of going out of business completely. Uh, At least for the foreseeable future, if oil prices don't stay above like that 33 to 35 kind of benchmark. Yeah. Another thing with this is the, uh, you know, Tea Partiers are saying they want an all of the above energy policy. Ironically, that's not that's not true because they don't want to spend any money on green technology. And for whatever reason, they're totally opposed to government subsidies of green technology, even though to to this day, oil companies, which are like the most profitable companies in world history, uh, they still have a bunch of subsidies for some unknown reason. Um, Yeah. A lot of money goes toward helping them have incentives and tax loopholes and things like that to do their business. So, I mean, that, it's really not an abo- in all of the above uh, policy. Obviously, we're not doing anything about nuclear technology, which has a very bad rap in America. Um, but there are many newer um, technological uh, kind of increases and uh, ideas to make it way safer and easy, easier on the environment and th- less risk, things like that. And you know most of our nuclear power plants are basically operating on like '70s technology with no, these like, kind of construction or even earlier and yeah older even earlier technology yeah um, so really not in all of the above it's really just all of the above of let's do anything these oil company uh, oil companies that uh, give us a lot of you know super PAC money want um, yeah for sure and a little shout out to to nuclear energy. <laughs> uh, like pretty much every nuclear reactor that had any real problems was like nineteen forties technology, um, right. like Chernobyl in what was that eighty six or eighty seven or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so that was in the mid eighties. Was still using nineteen like late nineteen forties early yeah. n- for Russia. It was probably early nineteen fifties technology. Right. So, well, I mean they probably like, had American technology that you know had gotten <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe so like it was a complete them. joke right. of a nuclear reactor, and, and what they've yeah. done is. Instead of using like uranium and stuff, they use an element called thorium, which is much less um, uh, unstable um, compared to other uh, radioactive elements. And more importantly, it's three times as common and its half-life is significantly lower than uh, uranium. So even if like, let's say, worst case scenario, you spilled some uh, thorium or something. Well, you know, instead of the area being uninhabitable for thousands of years, it's like only like 200 or something which is still kind of shitty but uh another good thing for nuclear reactors of you know the 21st century is that they're designing them where like and because thorium you can have the, the the fission reaction happen at a lower pressure and temperature you don't need the pressure cooker type massive facility that could literally explode like you do with uranium so you can have really tiny nuclear reactors that are physically and you know uh uh, I guess just physically incapable of actually uh, melting down because they don't even get hot enough. Yeah, and they dissipate um, so the heat thing. in ways that it's, uh, it's basically yeah. impossible So, I mean, we're not going to get into it here, but I highly recommend you actually read about the nuclear energy of the future because really the important thing to realize is that in the short term, there is no way to get rid of all carbon emissions in the short term, emphasis on the short term, without nuclear energy. Right, uh, most there's countries just no, are. There's no trade off that um, gets the same amount of power that we need um, as uh, nuclear power. Yeah, because what they're finding, even with like wind, solar, and hydro, is that like uh, more for solar and wind. Like when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow, which for a lot of the world is a lot of the time, is you basically have to have some kind of like fail-proof backup energy plan if you don't want people to have brownouts. And what that is, is at a minimum, it's some kind of fossil fuel. And, you know, ideally right. around the world, it'll all be um, natural gas, which is like I said earlier, like 90% cleaner than coal. Uh, but that's not the case. And, you know, of course, natural gas still gives off uh, carbon emissions and most of the world is still using oil and coal. So not a perfect situation. So, right. But, you know, let's not <laughs> digress too much. Yeah, let's not get too deep into the woods on that. All right, we'll yeah. go to number nine. The Tea Party wants to stop the pork, place a moratorium on all your earmarks until the budget is balanced, and then require a two-thirds majority to pass any earmarks. So right off the bat, let me just say um, the budget is not going to be balanced anytime time in the foreseeable future. And a, once again, a two-thirds majority to pass any earmark is basically an impossibility in this political climate. And thirdly, I would like to say that actually, uh, stopping pork barrel spending, which was kind of a big uh, controversy back in the day, but Congress has largely stopped that now, save for special deals. I believe Mitch McConnell just made one with Murkowski to get her vote to, uh, to not have any witnesses on, uh, in the impeachment <laughs> trial. I think McConnell gave like, Alaska some big spending thing or grant for some project in Alaska but interestingly, um, stopping pork barrel spending, as they call it, has actually arguably had a negative effect. Granted, it, you know, it offered a lot of corruption and maybe some bad votes here and there to basically bribe Congress, uh, specific Congress members to vote one way or another. But on the other hand, uh, a lot of these pork barrel projects that got voted in were actually really good for a lot of states. So a lot of senators were able to do a lot of good things for their state, saying, hey, I'm not going to vote for this unless you give me money for a bridge here in this big city for my constituents. Or to give, you know, insert any uh, state-specific project that really needs federal spending. It actually was a good way to get some of these things done. And now that there isn't uh, any more pork barrel spending, uh, a lot of these projects that otherwise would get funded just, you know, there's not much going on in the states anymore. Kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, well, the federal government makes so much more money than any state. Even California could possibly even dream of. So, I mean, like, sometimes you just, like, especially for some states, a little bit of federal money would go a long way to helping out a lot of people. I'm kind of conflicted on that. You made up, you, you know, you provided some good points on the pros and cons. Like, it's obvious, like... Uh, you could have a congress member who every time his vote is even close to being important could just say well what are you going to do for me um <laughs> yeah. that being said i mean like you know there are projects in this country that do need money um and certainly having a two-thirds majority to pass any earmark would be stupid too because um, again when does two-thirds of congress ever vote on anything you know what i mean other than like spending more military money <laughs> or for authorizing post office being named <laughs> after somebody <laughs> yeah exactly so i mean yeah i'm kind of conflicted too in this uh in the same way uh, maybe not too similar but a relative idea the idea that uh congress should have term limits that you can only have so many terms and uh, at face value it sounds like a good idea but then when you realize that uh um, you would actually have more corruption probably if you if everybody in Congress is relatively new because no one really knows the subjects that well. And everybody, the, the effect of lobbying on young, inexperienced Congress members would be much stronger. Whereas now, I mean, you see this even with some of the big votes in Congress, like McCain voting against uh, the repeal of Obamacare and big climatic mm-hmm. events like that. That's really only possible when you have these kind of like mythical, legendary Congress people who are not gonna be, who are not gonna lose re-election. They're able to buck their party a little bit more and fight against lobbying a little bit more because they've been there so long. And um, if you have a like, I think Ted Cruz wants two-term limits for every uh, senator, which by the way, he's in his second term, so. I wonder if he's gonna want, if he's gonna self-impose that term limit yeah. on himself that he wants for the Senate at large. I'm gonna guess not, because he likes power and <laughs> he's a little dick. Yeah. Um, but um, th- it, you know, it sounds like a good idea on the face, but you know, it would also have those negative uh, side effects that I described. Yeah. Well, uh, another funny thing I thought of is like. How few bills does Congress actually pass anymore? So even if we did have pork barrel spending, how bad could it possibly be if only 30 bills or 70 bills a year are passed? Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> all right. Number 10. Interestingly, 10 is uh, all they had in the contract. I wonder if they were trying to do a little uh, throwback to the original 10 <laughs> amendments in the Bill of Rights or something. Um, well, we should count up the word count and see if it... I mean, obviously, it's less than <laughs> the Constitution, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's Um, a good practice run for them. Right. Number 10, stop the tax hikes. Permanently repeal all tax hikes, including those to the income, capital gains, and debt taxes uh, currently scheduled to begin in 2011. (laughs) Thoughts? Well, I mean, the tax system is so stupid, including any tax hikes to capital gains. I think, like, if you don't know what capital gains are, for any listeners, capital gains are things like taxes on stocks. Anything, any type of security, any type of investment that you make money on that's not normal, like work income on a W-2 is a capital gain. So like uh, a big thing Bernie Sanders was talking about was having a very micro minuscule tax rate on day trading, um, which would, you know, create massive amounts of revenue from people who all they do is play with money. Um, And it'd be so negligible. It's actually in a funny way. Uh, it, it's far less than a lot of stockbrokers actually charge people for day trading, uh, which is going away a little bit now because of like companies like Robinhood that lets you do it for free. Um, but like, I'm, uh, I'm 100% okay with like, if you have an investment for more than a year or two, have 0% taxes, you know, go wild with it, who cares? But like, why can't the government incentivize people not to just, you know, threaten the economy by playing with moving sacks and piles of money and other investments from one pile to another and hoping it went up in value ever so slightly just to make a quick profit. Um, yeah. I mean there's so many like why can't you tax hike I understand income too. Like, you know, people the top marginal tax rate's what, thirty five percent on income, I, I understand now or maybe well got yeah. caught with Trump, but
1: um. I mean I
0: understand not going higher on people's income, but like man, there's a lot of people making a lot of money on capital gains and the max tax rate is 20%. So you could be doing really well for yourself with a W-2 and a job and you get taxed 35 or maybe a little less percent. But like if you're rich and you're only paying 20% max on like millions and millions of dollars of capital gains, like there's got to be something wrong with that, right? And I understand the argument. They'll always say that like, well, the rich person's paying more in taxes, but like, that's only one way to look at it. Surely it's fair that it's the equal percent, right? Among different people. Right. right? Why, why, should a, why should a rich person get to keep a bigger percentage of their money, which in total is way more money than like his secretary, who pays a higher percentage of, his, of their income in taxes and keeps less of it? You know, even though the rich man has more money, he's still keeping more of it than his secretary, who's got a much shittier life financially, obviously yeah um, yeah and uh, you know it used to, it used to not be that controversial of an idea to uh, tax the people who are basically making money out of thin air you know the people who are like the banks and the stocks and things like that yeah where you really have no tangible good uh, or like physical money uh, that you can actually have in your hand it's kind of all arbitrary and then you get into the idea of like, with stocks where you can short stocks, where you're basically making money by, pro- like making a contract to sell stock at a certain date, which you, you know, with shorting stocks. price. <laughs> yeah, where yeah. You're, you're basically just screwing with the price. I mean, it's it really, I mean, it's... it's you're gambling, it gets to the basically. Point where, yeah, and it gets to the point where it's like, how many degrees of separation is your money from actual real money that is anywhere physically on planet Earth, you know? Um, Well, but with a lot of that shorting you're actually betting with other people's stocks so you're borrowing them to bet against them and then paying them back so while you can you can actually lose a lot of money doing that you can actually make a lot of money and it's just like gambling yeah like the people who foresaw the uh um the financial crisis in uh 2007 happening like the uh the big short, uh, the movie and the book. That are yeah. Actually, that's by uh, the same dude who wrote that book we always saw about The Fifth Risk. Michael Lewis, yeah. Michael Lewis, yeah. He wrote that uh, the book, which is very good. Very good book. Very much like the movie. The movie's very good with Steve Carell and Ryan Gosling. But, I mean, watching that movie, it just really goes to show, like, all of those assholes need to fucking be taxed more. Like, sorry, not sorry. You guys are not doing real things. You're... Making yourselves rich with fake money that's imaginary at a certain point, um, yeah. You should probably have some kind of micro tax on every uh, every sale you do of tax of stocks, you know. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Couldn't yeah. agree more. <laughs> yeah. And, all right. So that's the end of the ten things that the Tea Party had in their contract from America. Ironically, from America being the America that voted against most of these uh, ideological ideas <laughs> in the yeah. 2008 election, and then once again in the 2012 election, where Obama was reelected handily. Um, yeah, because this article I pulled up is from April 14, 2010. So this is an article talking about it, so the actual documents from before that. So this is uh, a year and three months into Obama's presidency. And they're acting like America's been wronged and they need a new government. It's like, hey, man, you're, if you're within the previous election, like, you're still in the minority. You can't argue, yeah. you know, that and you're real in Real quick, the... I guess we can mention how Trump said he would have the, uh, the debt cut. He would have the debt gone by uh, the, the finished uh, second term. So in eight years granted the pandemic now is making things very complicated but uh trump had literally no um debt reductionist uh victories (laughs) leading up to the pandemic so he uh, increased the debt immediately after becoming president almost the first year the second year the third year we've added way more debt so right (laughs) every year just is going to make the uh uh, elimination yeah. of debt, m- that more amazing. Right, the Republican <laughs> tax reform plan that they did took a trillion dollars out of uh, out of our revenue. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah, any last thoughts on this one? We're at about an hour and a half almost leading up to. Yeah, that was uh, quite a quite a long one. But yeah, it's just amazing. So, I mean, this is what the Tea Party um, wanted. And just going through them really quick, it's kind of fascinating because in the era of Trump, it makes you wonder... How come when Obama's not president anymore yeah. and we have Trump, how come they don't say any of these things anymore? Yeah, why are they not um, protesting that tax bill that made our debt worse? Or any I mean the, of the other spending things yeah, doing? Yeah, the impeachment was all about protecting the Constitution. Uh, reject cap and trade. I mean, that's just made our ability... I mean, there's going to be a time where, like, uh, large parts of, like, uh, conservative states on the, the Gulf Coast and Florida... Are uh, like increasingly going to start going underwater. So I mean, I mean, it's so silly and short-sighted to ignore this stuff. Um, yeah. So as demand. Ridiculous. Ab- right. As ridiculous I, I was just going to keep going. Yeah. Well, just uh, real so, quick. As ridiculous yeah. as it seems to read this ten years later, imagine fifty yeah. years later. Oh yeah. So the next one: demand a balanced budget. You haven't heard the Tea Party say shit to Trump about that. Enact yeah. fundamental tax reform. I mean, I wouldn't really call a Trump did tax reform. It changed a couple of the numbers here and there, but all it did it mainly just cut taxes. So it yeah. really wasn't reform. Uh, this tax code's not any less. You still need yeah. people to. It really goes do to show harder. that Republicans only care about starving the beast in that they want to make the debt so bad that Democrats are forced to cut their own programs rather than Republicans cutting anything. So they don't, because cutting yeah, programs they don't is unpopular. Republicans don't want to do the unpopular thing, they just want to. Complain about things and try to make Democrats do that when Democrats have power. Um, this yeah. is the this is the second consecutive Republican uh, <laughs> kind of election where the Republican gets elected saying they're going to cut the budget, and then you know, uh, Repu- the Republican Party with Trump's first two years, they had full control of the government and didn't do shit. Yeah. So they also didn't do any shit. Uh, they didn't do shit on abortion either. So that's another thing that they always campaign on and then do nothing about. True. <laughs> Their first—that's yeah, all. They campaign on all of these wedge issues like the debt and abortion and things like that. But then the first thing, their main priority in government is just cutting taxes, as uh, as you yeah. can uh, imagine. <laughs> well, yeah, going through these things with the Tea Party perspective again, restoring fiscal responsibility. No, constitutionally limited government in Washington. No, no. That's kind of what—that's <laughs> yeah. definitely what the impeachment was about, and all the Republicans didn't say shit. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. End runaway government spending? No. Defund, repeal, and replace government-run health care? No. Didn't do it. Haven't talked about it since. Pass an all-of-the-above energy policy? uh, No. All they did was—it's funny, because they talk about how they're making—like, Trump's always talking about how he's making uh, America strong on energy again, and it's like, all you did was cut EPA regulations protecting the environment. That has (laughs) nothing to do with our energy policy. Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Um. Number nine, stop the pork. I mean, that's kind of a non-issue just because Congress doesn't do anything. And it's, I mean, like you said, there have been a couple cases where Mitch McConnell did do that. Uh, number 10, stop the tax hikes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, they haven't really, I don't know. I mean, they haven't really raised taxes too much because they keep Well, that tax them, reform but... bill that they did do, actually, it will raise taxes on like middle income people. And that's obviously the only, yeah, for obviously the only way Republicans difference. can can even pretend to balance their tax cut plans is to do things like raise the uh, the sales tax, which d- yeah. you know directly impacts poor people <laughs> who don't have that much money in the first place. Obviously, rich people can pay uh, like one percent higher in sales taxes if they're able to keep thirty million dollars off of a, a cut income tax, and then uh, well, you know cut. Uh, uh, the, the death tax or whatever that they call it um, you know r- when rich people can inherit shit tons of money with low taxes obviously they would much rather just pay a smaller a much a dramatically smaller sales tax increase. Well yeah a state tax I, is what I'm thinking yeah um, the Republicans so good at politic uh, political branding call it the death tax <laughs> make it yeah, seem did like you say sales tax? dying. Yeah, you said sales tax before, but yeah, the estate tax. I mean, it's such a... Well, yeah, I mentioned the sales tax in a different uh, context, but... Okay, yeah. yeah. And then the last one, stop the tax hikes, which is amazing because if if we increase the debt by a trillion dollars or more every year, like, are they so short-sighted they don't think taxes will ever raise again? I mean... Are are they going to be cool with taxes being raised when we have 30 trillion dollars in debt what about 40 trillion dollars what if we get to 100 trillion dollars in debt are yeah. they going to say no tax hikes no to tax hikes right. it is weird cuz i mean even nixon and uh, eisenhower you know pretty stalwart republicans they were presidents um, they they were uh, they were for tax cuts uh, you know like any good conservative but they had the sense that obviously you can't do it when there's a debt problem So Eisenhower famously did not, you know, do some of these wild tax cutting sprees because Republicans up until about Reagan, I think it was the late 70s when they started figuring, hey, why don't we just cut taxes anyway, regardless of the consequences? And, you know, in a way, I guess it's good political, uh, uh, a good political effort because then they get credit for cutting taxes. And then, of course... Uh, They, you know, they just don't give a shit until Democrats take over and then they say, oh, we need to start cutting all these programs now that we did not cut while we were in power. Yeah, totally. Yeah, (laughs) kind of depressing. We're all fucked. (laughs) Yeah, we're all fucked. Moral of the story. Uh, Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Brain Milk, the podcast, we are like milk for your brain. I'm Dash McIntyre. I'm Adrian Polk and don't forget to vote. Come in election. Oh yeah! Make up your mind vote. and vote. Be smart. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody.